Hi, my name is Tom Alston. I'm the founder and CEO of Aeromarine Tax Professionals. Here on the Winning Pitch Broadcast, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'll be sharing the ins and outs of business management, improving your sales skills, building personal and professional wealth, and balancing it all with your personal and family life, excluding the part about balancing it with your personal life. Don't expect a filter because we're about to rustle some feathers. Have fun. Welcome to the podcast called The Winning Pitch. I have a friend of mine who is quite famous and well-known, and he's going to tell you his path to success. So, uh, Aaron, please introduce yourself to the audience. Don't presume that the audience knows who you are or what you do or anything about it. I love it. No problem. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here with you today. The winning pitch. I can't say I've played baseball recently, probably since I was about eight or nine years old. So, but I, but I love. <laughs> but I love watching it, and I love I love the principles of success and and seeing people win on the field and off the field. So. Yeah, man. Introduction to myself. I'm a salesperson through and through. I started a company uh, recently, right before this COVID situation. And we are the folks that connect IT and technical company salespeople, the high-end closers, the folks that do millions and millions of margin or GP a year to their buyers. It's pretty simple. We go out, we make the calls, we identify the decision makers, and uh, we deliver those appointments and those early stage conversations to to those reps to close. So uh, that's our specialty, the prospecting side of the house. So what, ga- what gave you the idea to get in that business? What gave me the idea to get in that business? Well, um, a lot of trial and error to realize that that's been my strength for the last 10 years. You probably don't know too much of my story, uh, but if I back up uh, a while ago, I've been in sales for about 15 years. I started in the northeast of the country in late October, leaving a very secure hourly job in landscaping to go into sales, knocking door to door, door to door. Right. Give give give, give the listeners a time frame so they can track with you along your time track. This would have been in my in my late twenties. So I I decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and try my hand at the sales gig. I heard that a lot of people made money in that that route and uh, that career path. And so I went into security system sales. You guys have all seen the ADT signs up on people's yards, right? That was me. I was the fellow knocking on the door. I'm not sure why I started in uh, the dead of winter, but it definitely helped me grow some tough skin and uh, get used to rejection. So that was the beginning of my story. I, I went through a couple of different uh, careers. Uh, in sales through different industries, trucking, freight load, uh, truckload types of freight and logistics sales. And I ended up in technology sales, selling the computers that sit on your desk, right? And all the peripherals associated with it eventually worked up to uh, selling enterprise grade systems to big companies all over the world and servers and systems that support the back end as well. And uh, that's what I've done for the last 10 years before I started uh, my gig in outsourced sales development. So that's how I landed here today. Cool. So so the audience gets you to know you better. Where were yeah. you born? I was born in a thousand oaks, California, right outside of Malibu. Yeah. What are you doing on the East Coast walking around knocking on doors in the <laughs> snow? Come on now. Broken families, Tom. I, I grew up uh my mom and dad split when I was three 
And uh, that changed a lot for me. And then every marriage and subsequent divorce and maybe an annulment in there between the two of them, you know, over many marriages and relationships sent me around the country. So I've lived in the South uh, in South Carolina. I've lived in uh, Indiana. Maryland is probably the place that I've been the longest. So of all the places that you live, what's your favorite? It's a good question, man. The Northeast has some beautiful seasons. You know, I love being able to experience the weather and the the way that nature turns and you see the trees uh, right now, especially it's gorgeous outside. And uh, I enjoy that. It's like each place has, has its own unique, you know, appeal. And uh, so I'm not going to let you get away without answering the question. <laughs> I'll tell you where I've enjoyed the most, because this is where I'd like to get my family and my, my bride and my kids to move to. And that would be down along uh, the coast, down near Charleston, South Carolina. So I didn't live right there. We visited many, many times in my youth. Uh, We lived up uh, the coast a bit and inland, but really enjoy that area. Have you ever been to Savannah? I have. Savannah is fantastic. I I think you have a family over there, right? Yeah. Yes, I do. That's good stuff. So... You uh, started in, uh, you were in landscaping, and then you went into selling alarm systems, I think is the way that I understood that. You heard it. So what is your successful story uh, for to inspire yeah. the, all these? There's 8 billion people on the planet, and they're all listening to you right now, so there's no pressure. <laughs> the winning pitch, man. We're going to number one. Let me, let me back up a little bit f- further than that, okay? I'm going to take you back to college. Okay, I was the um, I was the pretty good student, you know, Division One athlete. Went to Maryland, and I was a runner. I was one of the cross country guys that ran around the track after school, you know. And I'm about a year and a half in to who knows what degree, and I remember walking into my economics class the last day of the semester. Right, so this is a class where I thought I was going to learn about money, Tom. I thought they were going to teach me how to be rich, right? And mind you, I come from a family that none of them really had any money to speak of, right? Mostly all employees and nobody that hit the the rich, you know, or or had the coin, so to speak. So here I am in economics class, final day of the semester, we're taking the exam. And I go up to the teacher and I said, look, Mr. So-and-so, I was like, I'm a little disappointed. You know, I came here to learn how to get rich. And here we are talking about all these terms and things that don't really seem to, to correlate to my pocketbook and my bank account, mm-hmm. right? I am so thankful for this professor, Tom. I'm so thankful for this professor. He was making about $60,000, at the time a year, annual salary. And he looked at me and he said, Aaron, if you want to get rich, I can't teach you how to get rich. He goes, you're going to have to go out and find somebody that's got a lot of money and ask them how to do the same. And that's probably, uh, that's probably how you'll get it done. So I remember I turned around, walked out of the classroom, left the campus and never came back. (laughs) And I am so grateful for that experience and his honesty as a professor to tell me that truth. So that that kind of lays the foundation for you of my journey right i've literally over the last few decades 
tried to decide who is in life where I want to be in whatever subject area or content and how can I align myself with, you know, what is it that they did? How did they get there? Right. And is that something that I can go apply to my own life and maybe get the same results? So here you are now in your late, 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 late thirties. And who, who have you decided on? Yeah. Great question, man. So initially Right after that that situation in college, uh, I started trying a lot of get rich quick schemes. Uh, they were kind of more of the pyramid schemes. Some of them were legitimate in terms of the multi level marketing. And I'm really glad that I chose to fill my head with a lot of content about you know how to get better, how to improve yourself as a person, and, and that sort of thing. How to win friends and influence people type of material. And it really really was helpful to get me kind of out of my introverted shell to learn to connect to other people. You said that professor told you to go find somebody. Yeah. Who did I find? So who'd you find? Yeah. A great, great point. So I was going to take you on a quick journey succession. So the first person that I found was when I was completely uh, burdened by debt, weighted down like crazy, had just gotten married. And my wife looks at me and she's like, you got to do something about this financial burden, right? This was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt things that I I had even hidden debt from her previous to our marriage. I had some credit cards that I didn't really tell her about, which my friend calls financial infidelity, Um, not recommended. And the first person that I found was Dave Ramsey. So I'm very, very grateful um, that we were able to find the baby steps, realize a little bit more about what personal finance was. It took us about seven, eight years, but we worked hard. We made a plan and we were able to knock out everything, including the house. Uh, we took care of all of our payments, all of our debt burden and obligation to other people, and uh, really gave us a breath of fresh air. So that was the first person. Then I went, I'm searching around, Tom, and I'm thinking, well, who else can teach me how to get really rich and has content and material around that that I can just absorb, right? And that's how I found Grant Cardone and the 10X movement. So that has been, that's been a great gift. I went to one of his boot camps. That's my, that was my first experience. So you signed up for one of his boot camps, and that was the very first connection that you had with Grant? You got it. Boy, that's, that's a big step because that's not inexpensive. You know, uh, For me, it was the biggest investment in my personal growth and finance that I'd ever made, right? I think it was, his, it was his first boot camp. I'd seen this guy on a couple of videos via YouTube, showed him to my wife, and she's like, he seems authentic. His message seems like it lines up with our principles and values. Go figure out if it's real and tell me if those guys are, are legit, right? So we flew, flew down to uh, Miami at the time and uh, this beautiful, glorious resort where he was uh, hosting. And I got to meet some of the most incredible people in the world. Was that, was that at the Diplomat? I believe it was. No, no. The Diplomat, this was Turnberry. You, were at, you started at Turnberry? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I remember, Tom, I remember meeting people. Little old me, I'd done pretty well in technology sales, uh, worked my way past six figures. And, you know, I thought that I was pretty hot stuff, right? And then I'm sitting in the room with people that build airplanes and paint the, uh, the jet for folks like Bill Gates. And I'm, it just blew me away, man. You know, I realized how little I know, how much more I need to grow. And uh, that was a really enriching experience for me. Awesome. So... You go to the boot camp and you come home. What was the first week home from the boot camp like for you? <laughs> what was the first week home from the boot camp? So this was uh, what, two and a half, three years ago at this point. And I remember being so fired up 
and mind you, I've been to lots of events, right? I've been to a lot of of pep rally types of of uh, you know fire you up and get you excited type of things, uh, but this was way more than that, man. This was these were real people that had paid you know thousands and thousands of dollars to be a part of this thing, and so my belief level had gone so much higher up that I could do what these folks had done because I'd shake, I I had the opportunity to shake their hand. Right. And so I literally went out there and I said, how fast can I find buyers for what I'm selling? Right. And so I turned up the the action, you know, to 10 X levels of action. And uh, we ended up uh, not only breaking the company record in sales over the next couple of months, we doubled the, what the previous record was. So, this was why you were still working for someone else. True. That's why I was still working in technology sales. Did they pay for your trip down there? No, nope. it was out of my own pocket. Yeah. Okay. All right. So good on them for uh, recognizing that someone outside of their corporate training program could bring something to them. I don't know if they ever recognize that. I was willing to make the investment on my own and I continued to make, to make the investment and I poured a significant amount of, of uh, money into my personal education and I'm grateful. You know, it's given me, gotten me the opportunities that I have today. Awesome. Awesome. So you go to this boot camp, you come home all fired up. What were you doing at the time as a statistic that we could use as a baseline? And what, how did your stats look, say, the following month or the following six months? In terms of Gross like income. revenue or yes. income? So in sales, yeah. So in sales, in terms of revenue, we were doing about well. The the, the number to beat was three point five million, right? For a year or a month? Yeah, for a year. So that was three and a half million a year. Um, you know, you could get your margin numbers out of that and your commissions out of that and so forth. And that was pretty good in the industry where we were. Uh, nobody in the company had ever done more than three five. So I ended up doing three six right before I went to that event. And over the next year and a half, two years, we did 8 million. Wow. Yeah. So it really worked for you. Yeah. And not only that, but I took some of the principles of uh, the 10X movement, right? And some of the principles of what it means to, to um, be successful and to apply yourself with a great attitude and to 10X your actions and activity. And I started to teach that to other folks in our team and our team did double that. So it was pretty impressive what we were able to do so together. So take, take me grand, granul, granularly, exactly with details, what you did in terms of the, you said you took some of the teachings. Tell yeah. me, give me an example of one of the teachings, what you did and what it, what it produced for you. Yeah. So I think um, realizing that the most important activity a salesperson can do is prospecting, right? Mm-hmm. Having as many conversations as possible. Uh, with your potential buyers every day is is very, very important. Um, and in the enterprise world, especially in technology, a lot of people, when you start closing and and you get a few relationships under your belt where you might be getting paid a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, you get pretty comfortable. And not many people continue to do what got them to where they were, right? And so that prospecting, constantly making so phone prob- calls. Yeah. We should probably identify for the audience that the word comfortable to a follower of Grant Cardone means C minus. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, yeah, right on. So uh, I, I, I didn't want to be comfortable. My, my, um, 
you know, my, not my family, but just people I'd been exposed to, not to mention at that boot camp, had showed me that unreasonable levels of success, unnor- things that weren't normal were still possible, right? And that there was no reason for me to lower the standard or just be comfortable and do what the majority of people do because I enjoyed so much being with people that were exceptional, okay. right? And I really, you know, I really wanted to be around those types of people. So we committed to certain volumes of prospecting, right? And I'm not talking about outrageous volume, but, you know, an individual rep, we would train to do between, um, you know, 60 and 80 phone calls a day, right? And these are people making some, some pretty good money. They have accounts to manage. They have a lot of other things to do as well as just make phone calls, um, you know, but you're going for a target of, you know, four five, six or more conversations a day with qualified buyers, Right. And this is for individual uh, business development reps or some people um, might call them SDRs, but gen- generally it's a biz dev rep or an account executive. We trained the team to be consistent in that. We taught around how to get a hold of people. And lo and behold, like, that seems to be the biggest problem in today's marketplace is how do you get somebody on the phone? How do you find their phone number? How do you, um, you know, get in conversation with that person quickly and, you know, not have to beat around the bush just trying to get them on on the line? Okay. What else besides prospecting did you discover? Oh man, I've dived so deep into um, what it takes to uh, connect with a buyer and deliver what they really need. Um, Here's another fun thing that I think will help anybody that's in uh, B2B sales. If you're dealing with companies and big organizations, but it also helps people B2C, believe it or not. And, And this was really, really helpful to me. And I would train the teams on this too. I think it comes from a book in a group called Action Selling. Uh, but they taught that people that when they purchase make conscious or subconscious decisions in a particular order. And if you don't follow that order, you're probably going to lose the deal or wonder what's missing in the relationship, why you didn't get further along and get a, get a close, right? And so these five things are really, really cool. They, they go in order kind of like the acts of a play if you've ever been to the theater right? It wouldn't make a lot of sense if you saw the first act and the last act, right? You got to see them in succession. If there's five of them, you want to see one, two, three, four, five, right? And so the first thing that people always buy is they buy you as the salesperson, right? They want to know, do I like this person? Is this somebody that I would see myself doing business with? Are they helping me identify my problem, right? Are they uh, clear? Are they organized? All these kind of questions go through somebody's mind when they pick up the phone. Okay. The second, the second thing that they buy is their is the company. So they want to know: Can this company scale with me? Can they handle my business? Have they done this before? Right? Or am I willing to take the risk with them now? They're buying. They're they're asking questions about the company, right? And this is even procurement officials will do this in large companies. Um, okay. the, the the next thing that they'll ask is the product, right? Are we on the right product? You know, have, have we narrowed it down to this is what's going to solve my problem? And the next thing would be price. See, a lot of people think that price comes at the beginning of a deal and it's okay to bring it up. I love how Grant talks about that, you know, setting the expectation that we're going to be talking about these numbers ahead of time. But when a buyer is thinking about a purchase, they're thinking of it more in, the, in this order, right? Okay, I've got the person, I've got the company, I now have the product. Is the, is the price going to be worth it? And then finally, is the timing right for me to buy? So those five things have really helped me work through 
the stages of where each one of my buyers is in a sale. And if we are talking about B2B or really complex selling, you could have, you know, five, 10 buyers in a deal. And each one of them has to go through that cycle. And you got to make sure you know where they all are in, in uh, that process. So are, did you mean that the way that you said that there's seven different decision makers or there's seven different separate cycles and each one is a unique decision maker to what he needs? Yeah, um, great question. I meant more that there, there are multiple types of decision makers, right? So there's usually, I think Grant teaches four types, right? There's an economic buyer, there's a user buyer, there's a, somebody in management that buys, and uh, there's somebody technically that signs off on the deal and evaluates the deal that way. Right okay. now, when it, when you're dealing with a small organization or an individual, they could all be wrapped up into one or two people, right? But when you're dealing with a huge company that might have 10, 20,000 employees, that sort of thing, in a large organizational structure and management group, right? A corporate group, perhaps. Usually, you'll have to go out and find at least those four types of buyers, and then you got to know where buyer A is. So let's say um, they're an economic buyer who makes purchasing decisions, sends you the PO, the, the purchase offer, right? That person, you have to decide, well, have they bought me? Have they bought our company? Have they bought the pr product? Is this the right product, right? And you can go through those conscious or subconscious purchasing decisions with each one of the different types of buyers. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. So what did you discover about follow-up during this journey? <laughs> this is a great question. I think most of us fail as salespeople because of our lack of follow-up. I, I really do. And I think that the best um, salespeople don't always get it right at the beginning, but they're willing to follow up. And that's why they end up with the deals, right? That, per, that persistence is, is one of the best things. I, I think about it, um, you know, with some, my friend who got married recently, right? Like he had to keep asking her, well, if he had stopped at the first time when she wasn't sure, or didn't say yes, that would have been a problem for him. Right. But you keep following up, you keep asking. And so what I've learned to be real specific is that uh, most people make their purchasing decisions somewhere between the eighth and the 12th time that you follow up with them. And so why not condense that and touch base with those people and follow up with those people a lot faster uh, than you normally would so that you can get to that eighth to 12th number as fast as possible. So is that something that you learned at the boot camp or from Grant Cardone or did you, were you already doing it? Yeah, I would say that I was already pretty consistent in, in my follow-up. I, I don't always hit it a home run out of the park right away uh, when I'm talking to somebody, but I'll keep showing up and talking to them, right? I'll keep asking them what their problem is and trying to solve that problem or bring in an engineer or bring in somebody that's smarter than me to, to knock out, you know, that piece of, that piece of their questioning. Um, Cardone solidified it for me, right? And then he gave, uh, he gives you different campaigns, right? Like there's the eight by 22 campaign uh, that I think may have come from that boot camp. Um, but it, this is what you could do the first time that you follow up with them. This is what you could do with the second time. This is what you could do with the third time. And here's how you stay creative. And here's how you stay respectful, right? And this is not about um, pounding somebody over the head to buy your product. This is about creating a long-term relationship with somebody that's a repeat buyer, you know, where you both enjoy doing business with each other long into the future. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I know that, uh, I used to follow up with everyone who reached to me. I followed up with them. 
until they died. Until they either, I used to call it my BFD marketing program. I followed up until they either bought, flew, which means they told me to get lost. And I told them that, okay, I'll stop calling you, but I'm not really going to do it. I'll just right. shut you out six months, 12 months, or they die. And that, and I just it kind of instinctively did that. But with Grant, when I looked at his little push-button system for the first 365 days, I was, oh, damn. So then I was re- able to create a system that I gave to people who worked for me and said, this is what you do on day one, this is what you do on day two. And I'm calling it day, but it's, it's actually contact one, contact two, right. contact, because it, I'm in the aviation tax business, which means those can be very, very, very long eight, five to eight year cycles. And there are some people that I've been following up with for oh, 15, 20 years and still haven't bought from me yet. They will eventually become one of my customers because I'm not going away. I yeah. know they need me. When someone reaches to me, it was because they had a problem that they felt I was the solution for. So I'm just going to keep feeding them solutions and solutions and solutions and information and sending 100%. At sending them handwritten notes, leaving them messages and stuff like that. Because the worst thing that can ever happen to me as a salesman is somebody, I, I get in, finally get in communication with them after, say, two and a half years. And they say, oh, I bought an airplane two months ago and I hired such and such. I forgot about you. That's my fault. That's totally my fault. I don't want you to ever forget about me. And, you know, it's it, that, but I always did that kind of like I, I think I was going to use the word innately or instinctively. But Grant systematized everything, and because right. he put it so hard, it just became real to me. And and yeah. everyone around here knows that everyone around my company knows about those systems and follows them. And and I'm trying to figure out how to use that with, even though our tax system requires constant follow up, where we also actually do the follow up with them after they they've gotten their tax exemptions and. It's just to stay in touch with them because people who buy airplanes tend to buy another one sooner nice. or later. I've, you know, I've got guys that have been with me six, seven, eight transactions. So, you know, I, I, I've been in the business long enough that I've got to have a real good feel for it all, how it all works. Sure. So, and how do you continue to, you know, provide the services and stay in top of mind? You know, persistence and follow-up is where it's at. You call them a lot. You call, in fact, what I use to decide if I'm calling the right amount is when people stop, start telling me to stop calling them. Until I get to that point, I up the call goals. I up the call goals. Until I get people who are telling me to stop calling me, then I know I've, that's the right number. That's yeah. where you've got to go every day. And, and do something memorable, right? Yeah. If, if, if you do something memorable in that, whatever, however long your sales cycle is, Right, whether it's you know six months or even a few months or ten, fifteen years, if you do something memorable that helps you stand out, you're you're creating that impression right in their mind. Hey, this is the guy I got to go find when I have this problem. Right. So now I'm going to ask you the tough question. Sure, bring it. So going over your entire work history, including mm-hmm. the gardening, the, the the yard stuff that you were doing. Tell me about your single best moment. Identify what year it was, what month it was, who you were working for, what you were doing, yeah. and be, make put us put the listener there with you. So be very yeah. discreet. Okay. All right. So let's go back. Let's go back about twenty years. 
Okay. All right. I had walked out of the college classroom and off the campus because I wasn't going to learn how to make money there. And I had to do something to pay the bills, right? Something to pay the bills. So uh, I had just left working a tree cutting service. So if you've ever been a, been a part of one of or seen the guys that that are off the side of the road, you know, chainsawing the the the, uh, the trunks and tossing the branches in the back of the chipper truck where you know it sprays dust and dirt out all day. I just left that for what I thought was going to be the best position in the world because I was going from hour, hourly to salaried position. Okay. Right. Yes. And so here I am going into salary position. Never heard of uh, uh, or commissions of commissions in, in the past. So to me, to get off of hourly and get into salary was a big raise, big up, right? And I remember about four or five months into this landscaping gig, we were doing uh, the company would do a couple of different things. We would do what they would call stream restorations, right? Where you take uh, plants and you go down to um, uh, streams that are being restored or where they, they build up the rocks and, and the concrete to protect it from erosion, right? We would plant these things all along uh, the banks of whatever this river or stream would be, right? And often this would be in new housing developments and that sort of thing to meet the environmental codes, right? Um, okay. And I would be the guy that would go around with the auger and I would, you know, make the holes for each of the plants, as we went, we went around, well, in order to, uh, to, to do a bunch of trees or a bunch of plants and vegetation in one day, um, I would have to carry a bunch of equipment with me. And I took around all of that gear, the, the handheld auger and whatnot, inside of uh, these little utility vehicles. People have seen like the four wheelers that you might have fun, fun, fun with, right? Uh, when you're going off road. Well, this was, you know, probably a Ten, fifteen thousand dollar piece of equipment, and I'm getting to, to to one of the best things that ever happened to me here, right? And oh, I comp yeah. I completely destroyed it. I destroyed this piece of equipment. All right, here's how it went down. I left um, the 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 safe uh, bank off, off the river uh, and came down into a bed uh, of this new construction. Uh, area and picture, you know, thousands and thousands, it seemed like thousands of homes at the time, maybe it was just hundreds in multiple stages of construction around me, no real trees anywhere. That's why we're there to help replant, right? And I'm down in one of those uh, drainage pits that that's right near where um, a new uh, road would be was being developed, right? And in the big drain systems that went under the, the road. And uh, I came up I left all of my equipment, everything down there, and I came up for lunch uh, only to hear the, a thunderstorm crack in the distance. And it, the largest downpour I'd ever seen uh, just deluged the whole place. And I'm hiding in the trailer um, and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't good. You know, how am I going to get down and get my equipment? Well, before I knew it, the area where I'd left all the gear in that beautiful utility vehicle started to rise with water and fill up, right? And it, I mean, it filled up probably 10, 15 feet deep in a matter of, of minutes. And all of the equipment that I left out there was completely destroyed, right? And I'm thinking, this is no good. It's not turning on, nothing's working. And I had to go and I had to tell the owner of the company that I just messed up something that um, was a pretty penny, right? Well, here's what happened. He was not happy. He was, he was disappointed. 
But this thing changed my life, Tom. He said, it's all right. I'm going to take care of it. I'm scared. Personally, I'm scared I'm going to lose my job, right? Like this is going to, this is going to go away. Everything good that's happened so far is going to evaporate. And uh, he says, I'll take care of it. Uh, here's what I want you to do so this doesn't happen again, right? And he gave me mercy, man. He gave me a second chance. And I think that's really cool in and of itself because uh, it taught me a lot about leadership because my loyalty to, to him and that firm just increased dramatically. But more importantly, it taught me the principle of building margin for your errors into your business. I was amazed <laughs> that he could afford to have this thing repaired and fixed without it destroying his, his, his business and his, you know, his small, small business in this company. And so he taught me that you ought to always make room for mistakes, right? Because that's a part of getting to the end game. And uh, that's probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me in business and personal finance. Great story. So now take your consciousness and put it over all the same jobs. Yeah. And tell me about your single worst moment. And again, be very descriptive about it. Yeah. Single worst moment. All right. Trying to be a, a little, I'll take you into maybe where I was mentally that was not a good place for multiple months. So I mentioned that I was in technology sales and that I had learned to put my head down and do the activity and, and just make the work happen so I could close some deals. Well, the first time I broke the company record in sales, which was you know 3.6 million, I believe, I was excited. And I was paid that year more than I had thought I'd ever be paid before. I mean, I always wanted to make more money, but this was where like, I actually had the paychecks and we paid off all of our debt. And so here I am having reached what I thought was beyond the goal that I had set for myself in personal income, right? And Tom, this is the worst because for the next probably five months, maybe it was a little less than that, I felt like I was depressed. I'd reached this goal that had been out there for a long time and I didn't have another goal to go after. Oh, and you looking, were under the impression somebody was supposed to give you the new goal, huh? Yeah. I mean, looking back at it now, right, I've got to own every, all that, right? I've got to set my, set my goals. And, and, uh, but, man, that was a horrible time. I, that was really, really bad. And, you know, I know now it's because I didn't have another goal and my goals weren't big enough, right? But back at that time when I'd reached everything that more money than anybody in my family had ever made and, you know, all this kind of cool stuff man, I was down and out and I was questioning life and questioning my purpose and questioning, you know, what was valuable. And, you know, it's funny, the more, the more of that income, I think that I make, I realize how it's more just a tool and a resource to, to help other people more than it is just something for me to get what I want. But those two mix as well. So that was the worst thing that's happened to me. I understand. Now I'll tell you a story from my life that's similar, but it's not a goals problem. My grandfather was uh, one of the R&D guys for Spreckle Sugar, and they mandatorily retired him at the age of 65. And by the age of 67, he was almost dead. His body just started to develop all kinds of problems. So he on his own figured out to go back to Spreckles and say, I'm going to come to work as a consultant. And he worked for them as an external consultant, a 1099 employee, until I think he was like 90 when he died. So he bought, him, he bought himself an extra 20, 25 years alive. 
Wow. Right. That comes up on my mind is that when I reached the age of 70, I well, actually before that in the late sixties, I started referring to myself as an old man. Well, you've met my wife, Julie, and she says, no, 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 no. You're only as old as you think you are. I says, well, okay, but look at my driver's license. I got proof. <laughs> okay. Then we're going to, we're going to change the way you think about it. I says, what? Says you're going to live till you're 150 years old. And when I think about that, I says, "Damn, I'm not even halfway. I got a lot of things left to do. I got a lot of time left to do." So it's you know, and I realized by taking what Julie said to me and matching it back to my experience with my grandfather, it's in here. It's all in here. So you know, like when I was coaching, when I was coaching baseball, which I did for four decades, which I most people, some people know that, some people don't. The umpires would always ask me, when are you going to retire? Never. I like it. I, I enjoy it. I like being out in the sun. I like yelling at kids. I like yelling at umpires. It's what I enjoy doing. I love the game of baseball. And I don't want to retire. Now, eventually, I did retire from baseball. I didn't really retire. I quit. The mm-hmm. game changed so much for me that I couldn't tolerate it bound being mm-hmm. around spoiled little brats who think that every time their son doesn't get it exactly the way that they think it ought to be, that I should go visit the principal and get my butt chewed for doing my job. So I quit. I said, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm I'm worth way too much for this. And then took that 50 or 60 hours a week that I was devoting to coaching baseball and put it back into my business. And my business statistics went straight up just like that. So I already knew about the energy that it takes to work 120 hours a week right. because it's what I was doing, but I was doing two things that I love. So I just started doing one thing that I love and stopped doing something that I didn't like anymore. You know, it's like, yeah. nah, I ain't going to do that. And how much more alive do you feel, you know, with that longer term perspective, you know? Boy, it's, it's a good question. I don't know that I feel more alive, but I feel like I have more time. Mm. I'm not being cavalier about that because I also know that I could walk outside and get hit by a bus. So I'm not, it's not like I don't take that into consideration. It's just that from a responsibility standpoint, it goes, Oh, I've still got to take care of things for another 78 years. So, you know, I got to step up the game big time. So, you know, it's, it's, I appreciate her perspective. Okay. Um, you know, when you, when you get old and your body starts to break down, it's, it's hard not to notice it, but all you got to do is decide to not let it happen. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know how to answer that. Ask me at a hundred. I've already promised some people that on my hundredth birthday, I'm going to reveal to people why I like baseball so much because it'll blow your socks off. It, it, if you, if you hear when you hear that story, you're going to go, this guy's crazy. Well, of course I'm crazy. I'm planet Earth. Everybody's on planet Earth is crazy. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Nobody, nobody told you that we're in an insane asylum. Oh, damn, that's a little bit of a leak. Yeah, man. So, so anyway, I, I have enjoyed our. We typically, just so the audience knows this, Aaron and I typically get together every Monday at around two o'clock, except for when the older of the two of us forgets, and then I have to get this very friendly little. Aren't you going to be on the call today? But we're each other's accountability partners. We met at a an event in was it April? Uh yes. Oh uh, no, that? February, February. So it was before COVID started, yeah. right? Okay, mm-hmm. right before. 
and and uh, we 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 talk to each other on Monday, and we go, "What are we going to? What are you going to accomplish this week?" And then he asked me what I'm going to accomplish this week, and what's your goals? And then we have to tell him about. I have to tell him about what I didn't accomplish, and I I lie to him sometimes and tell him I really made really big. And, celebrate you know, wins too. We celebrate yeah. wins, man. I well, people people forget to do that sometimes, you know. That's that's probably my biggest weakness. It's what I do becomes so commonplace to me because I do it every day. It, it doesn't feel special. And if I yeah. don't talk to someone else who kind of gives me some reinforcement for that, I forget about it. And it's not a forgetting like just because I've gotten old. It's just that it's like taking a guy who's really good at hitting a baseball. It's hard sometimes for him to teach it because it's what he does. He doesn't right. remember all the work that it It's does. unconscious sometimes. Yeah. yeah it's, well, it's habitual. You've done it so many times. Yeah. What lesson did you learn from being an athlete? Because I think you said you were a D1 mm-hmm. track guy. Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh, made it to nationals in high school and uh, ended up me and a, and a relay team on the four by mile coming in uh, sixth in the nation that year. So. so were you the guy that went first or the guy that went last? I was the closer. They put me, yeah. they put me in to close, man. It was so the you, first... were the, you were the fastest guy, right? I like to sit, think of it that, like that. All I know well, is that, I've that been... was a softball that I fed you, so you could hit it out of the park and you blew, and everybody knows you weren't as fast as guy. Anyway, tell me the story. I'd love to think of it that way. You know, when when there's somebody up ahead of you, and this goes for I think this goes for success uh, in, in in just about any area of our lives. Um, if they can do it, why can't you do it? You know, and that year, um, the the year that I came on the scene for the mile. We had two guys for the first time in 30 some years break the four minute mile in high school. Wow. Right. And so that was my competition. Right. And I never beat them. I got close, but I never beat them. But I was way, way better for having competed against those guys. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So that's your, that's your mic drop. That's it, man. If, if you, who, what was it? What was it? Um, you know, you'll be in the same place five years from now, except for the people that you hang out with or associate with and the books that you read. That statement changed my life. Where did that statement come from? I don't know, but somebody smarter than me. Everybody it might have been, been Charlie, than Charlie Tremendous Jones, I believe, is who, who, had, who, who uh, said that first. Something a lot, very close to that. I'm sorry. I don't know who he is. Oh, it's all good. He he lived in uh, he lived in in out of Pennsylvania, and uh, if you have a success book in your hand, it probably went through his uh, publishing company at one time. Ah, okay. So, all right. So, yeah. um, thank you for giving your time for my podcast. Thank you for delivering a reason to succeed. Thank you for giving acknowledgement to Grant Cardone, which I do in everything that I do and say and live. Uh, Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Let's say that you were speaking to a guy getting ready to graduate from high school. Mm. What one thing would you tell him? Somebody just getting ready to graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. I would tell them to find people that have sustained results in whatever area of life that they want to improve and go spend time with those people, whatever it takes. Okay. The reason I said high school instead of college is 
I went to college for three semesters. Sounds like about the same as you. <laughs> I have no use for it. I had absolutely no use for it. I just, yeah. you know, what I learned in, well, I won't tell you what I learned in college because then, then they, you remember? They, yes, I do. I'm not much of an alcoholic or a drug addict, but I can party with the best of them. And, but anyway, I can't tell it's you. It's a good, it. it's a good social experiment, right? I learned a lot about myself in, in, in college. You can get a lot of good contacts going to college as well, or at least you could. I don't know if it's the same today in terms of you get to meet a lot of new people, right? Well, people at that. College, I think in college now you're not allowed to talk. I think you have to text. Oh, that's right. Uh, I don't, I, Nobody's I, I, in person I, anymore. I think it's, you know, it's like when I used to drive my daughter to high school basketball games and she was a player. So she was on the women's team and there were three girls in the back and they're yeah. all on their phones. And I said, what are you guys doing? I said, we're talking to each other. I go, what? Wow. You're sitting to each right other next to in- a person and you're texting with each other? Ah, oh, I know why you want to do that because I'm not supposed to know what you're talking about. Listen, I was a teenager. You're talking about the same things today that I was talking about because I didn't want my mom or my dad to know what I was talking about either. Right. So, but I really think you're losing a very valuable skill in being able to talk to people face to face and look them straight in the face. But anyway, that's my message to high school kids. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you because skills today, we live in a, a hyper skill driven business world, right? You, you have to be the best to get noticed in my opinion. Okay. Right. And you know, everybody that does business with you, the first thing they want to know is what are you absolutely excellent at? Right. What are you great at? One guy said it this way. He said, what's your superpower? And yeah, exactly. Do you have some cool, you know, thing that happens to your body? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But what is it? What is it that you do? Because, you know, it takes time to develop skills sometimes, right? Yeah. At least it takes repetition and repetition yeah. usually takes time, you know, and I, w- I would encourage other people to start working today in something, commit to it and stick to it. That's one of the, the hardest things for people to do, you know, in this yeah. distractive world and economy, you're talking about the kids on their phones, right? Like, how do you commit to something and stick to it so that you can get better at it, eventually master it, and then you'll be extremely valuable in the marketplace. The way I explain that is get out of the two-dimensional world and get into the three-dimensional world. That's that's the way I like I that. Because it's like you and I are talking on technology today. It's all two dimensions. While we yeah. still this is this is a lot better than just talking on the phone because I can see you I can see your body language. I can tell how you're really reacting to things that, that yeah. you say and things like that. So it's an improvement over talking on the telephone. But yeah. the, the ideal kind of communication is in the three-dimensional world because it's just a bigger screen. There's more perceptics that you have innately as a spiritual being, and, you, and it, it's just easier to, anyway, from my standpoint. To, to uh, dude, I'm with you. I'm with you. The People are operating today oftentimes on lies, right? And, you know, those kids to your baseball experience that get participation medals, right? Or they, you know, they take away the winner's medal and everybody gets the same thing just for showing up. Like, it's not true. You know, they've got to get to the point where they understand that the winner in life is the one that excels, the one that comes across the line first, the one that gets it done, right? that executes. And those people have become more and more rare. 
right? And so you become more valuable in the marketplace if you're willing to go and do what other people aren't. You know, this, that hasn't changed, you know, for years. Yeah. So, Tom, I, I could tell you maybe one last thing here. Um, I just celebrated 12 years of marriage. And uh, I am super excited about that. She uh, is the love of my life. We've grown closer and closer every year. And uh, I have four kids and one on the way, hopefully in the next month here. Um, and uh, pretty, they're pretty soon you discover what causes that. <laughs> Everyone that comes in, I make more money, man. Everyone, my life gets more full and more joy. You know, there's more joy, more work, but certainly more joy, right? And uh, I hope that people realize and, and turn to others that know what's true and don't spend half their life wasting because they believe, believe the lie. You know, to your point earlier, you know, most people die. I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, most people die at 25 and they're buried at 75. Yeah. You know, why not have that longer term perspective, go out and serve some people, you know, businesses, you get paid to trade and do good for other people, right? Absolutely. It's phenomenal. You know, there's no better certificate of appreciation than the bills that show up in my hand from having done something for somebody that they valued more than the money they gave me. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, anyway, good. Aaron, I want to thank you uh, for your time. Uh, if you want, you can give your contact information. If anybody wants to con contact you directly, you can give me your social media stuff or you can give me your phone number. Yeah, sure. If you don't sure. want to do that because you want to... You want to keep your head in the shell, you turtle. You just go ahead and not give it. Way to set me up there, man. Way to set me there up. Yeah. So people can reach out if they want outsourced sales development. They want to have a conversation about sales or just life in general. I'm happy to share, you know, what, whatever's worked for me. If it'll work for you, I'm, I'm happy to do that. So 443-305-9466 and leave a, leave a voicemail. That's a good number to reach me. 443-305-9466. We are launching a company called Win Sales. Win Sales. You won't find a lot of it online yet uh, because we're doing a lot behind the scenes for our buyers. And I'm excited, man. The, when somebody calls me, I'm going to tell you that I'm loving life because that's not only what I want it to be, but because we get to wake up each day and make it that. So it's good. Absolutely. So anyway, thank you for your time. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for your motivation. And thank you for being my accountability partner. Tom, I appreciate you, man. I respect you so much for not just throwing in the towel, but being willing to continue to invest in yourself and those around you and, uh, and to build a business that's based on service and, and improving every day. So thank you, man. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you on the podcast and to know you in life. Okay. I love you, brother. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? I'm invested in your business and personal success, and I hope you found this episode of the podcast insightful. If you or your business is ready to grow, check out my website, 10 Excellence. This is the way that you do that. The number 10, then xlenz.com. Be sure to follow me and send questions on Facebook at Arrow and Marine Tax Professionals and on Twitter and YouTube at Thomas Alston. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on our next episode.